and welcome to the TV Kids Summer Festival. I'm Anna Karugati, Editor-at-Large at TV Kids. Today I have the great pleasure of speaking with media cartographer Evan Shapiro. Thank you for joining me, Evan. My pleasure. So just to highlight a few um, of the steps along your very impressive career, you've worked in marketing, you, you've been a producer and won an Emmy for Hit Record and a Peabody for Portlandia. You've headed channels IFC and Sundance TV. You created CISO, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep. NBC Universal's premium comedy streaming service. Today, you are a professor at NYU, Fordham University, and a media cartographer. So what are you tracking and researching? What, what catches your curiosity today? Um, I think uh, the thing that catches my curiosity on a regular basis or on a daily basis is the evolution of our media ecosystem uh, in all four sectors, video, audio, social, and gaming, and really the convergence that uh, was a word from the 90s that people used a lot, but the convergence of all of those sectors into what I consider a personal bundle that most consumers uh, manage on their own, in their pocket, on their phones, or on their screens via their remote controls. So watching control move even further into the hands of the consumers across all four of those sectors is really what I track on a daily basis. Today's children are shaping the media landscape and laying the foundations of what the media ecosystem is going to be tomorrow. Um, can we talk about generation, generation Alpha for a second? How are they spending their time outside of school? Well, the first thing that most kids do, uh, other than maybe a homework or hang out with their friends, actually, there is a, a big movement to put down the devices and actually spend time with friends in real life and travel and things like that. So that, that post-pandemic uh, the pent-up demand to spend time in person with your friends and your family and see the world, that's really uh, driving a tremendous amount of the downturn in media consumption over the last, um, let's say, 12 months. Um, but apart from that, the one thing that Generation Alpha says that they do every day is game. 70% of kids between the ages of 8 and 15 um, say they game every single day. And what's interesting about that is that it's not just gameplay. Um, so there is a tremendous amount of gameplay that happens there. But when you look at the length of sessions on these um, live service games and other games, a tremendous amount of the time is social. Um, and so, you know, while I think Mark Zuckerberg ruined the term uh, metaverse for most of us, um, there is a metaverse that's taking place on Roblox, on Minecraft, um, and Fortnite and PUBG now um, that is part gameplay, but a, a good deal of this is a new version of social media. If you want to see where Web 2.5 is taking shape, it's in these fully functional, always on, um, with their own economies platforms that we call games that are much more than that. When Justin Bieber launched his last concert tour, he did it on Fortnite. 60% um, of the world's population between the ages of five and 15 plays Minecraft. Um, and so when you think of where media is headed, um, and that's why I look at the convergence, uh, what's happening on these games is not gaming. It's much larger than that. When you look at um, where they spend their video time, um, increasingly, 
there's this yes and uh, point of view amongst all consumers, but especially amongst those under the age of uh, 20, um, where they're very comfortable uh, YouTube being one of the first places that they'll go for for video content, but Netflix being the second place, uh, Twitch being a place that they spend a tremendous amount of time, but then also Disney Plus. And so there's this um, real um, acceptance with the idea that I'm going to jump from free media on social video to premium video on a, a subscription platform and back and forth. And the idea that publishers don't see social video as premium video is a big mistake. They're, they're going to miss a whole generation if they don't pay attention to the social video consumption, which younger consumers see as equal to uh, premium video. Mr. Beast is the biggest star in the world for consumers under the age of 14. Um, and the amount of time that uh, young people spend on Twitch and YouTube and TikTok and all these other social video platforms is is really important to pay attention to. And and by premium video, you mean a, a traditional TV show or or? Uh... Well, no, I mean yes and no, uh, yes and. Um, <laughs> so you know, Mr. Beast doesn't have a traditional television show, but he has one of the largest channels on the face of the earth. And all of the people who watch that show consider that premium video. In fact, uh, YouTube came out with a statistic last week during the New Fronts that said that almost or half of their consumption is now happening on the big screen television. Um, And so when it happens here, it is TV. Um, When it happens on the phone, it's still TV, but increasingly in the home, this screen has become the home screen, even for younger consumers. Contrary to their older cohorts, Generation Alpha, are they willing to spend for content or have their parents spend for content? Um, the we did a survey with Publishers Clearinghouse a little while ago, and what we saw was that 64% of people under the age of 34 are willing to pay for content. And if you have a child under the age of 15 and you've ever seen charges from Fortnite or PUBG or Minecraft or Roblox, you know that these generations are very willing and 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 able to pay for content, whether it's their own money or, or their parents' money. And then you look at Spotify subscribers, which are traditionally a younger audience than the rest of the gen pop. Um, and you, we've raised three generations, Y, Z, and A, um, to understand that for the best content that they want most, um, they uh, have to pay for it. Um, and when we asked these consumers under the age of 34, what are they planning to do in the year ahead with their subscriptions? And this is across audio and video and other areas. Uh, 41% of them said, I, I'm going to pay more to get rid of ads. Um, that doesn't mean that they won't watch free stuff with ads, but their intention is as they get resources to create environments where they're ad free because that's you know to them seen as a, a better experience. So YouTube premium um, is really growing fast around the world. YouTube music is a, a fast uh, growing segment. Netflix is either one or two for almost all consumers under the age of 34 as a streaming platform. So you've got Netflix and YouTube kind of sitting next to each other. Uh, and then on top of that, we did a, uh, we looked at data from GWI, um, which showed that the number one thing that people that Gen Z, um, this is not Gen A, but Gen Z um, uh, considers important when considering what to watch and what to consume is relevance of the content. Number two is the size of the library. 
you have to go down to number four or five or six to look for whether it costs something or whether it has ads or not. So the content still is king. Um, and you, you have to think like these young consumers if you're going to get inside their minds, their pockets, their eyeballs. And, and speaking to that, um, there are numerous entry points into the kids' media system. And by kids, I mean, you know, Generation A. Um, what, what are those entry points? Can you define a little bit what that world is? Yeah, I mean, again, gaming is one of the most important ways to get in, whether that's in the game itself. And so when Nike wanted to go recruit the next generation of sneaker wearers, they created a Nike land in uh in minecraft um and then the other one would be twitch or youtube gaming or facebook uh gaming um these are very large live streaming platforms hours and billions of hours viewed on twitch and on youtube and on facebook um, of people watching people play games and turning it into comedy um so that that is one really important uh entry point another really important entry point is tiktok um, and if you're a brand and you're trying to reach um, people under the age of, let's say, 18, um, it's really important that you have a presence on TikTok, on YouTube. Again, uh, Mr. Beast is probably the biggest star on the face of the earth for people under the age of 14. And he doesn't have a TV show. He has his own channel. Um, this weekend, he exploded the Internet by giving a thousand deaf uh, kids um, the ability to hear for the first time. It was everywhere. Some people deriding him, some people applauding him. But regardless, he drove the conversation. He has a hamburger chain. He has a chocolate bar. He sells his own products. Nerf created a, his own, uh, their own Nerf gun for him, which he sold the heck out of. And so when you look at the entry points, um, most people under the age of 18, when you ask them what they want to do when they grow up, they say they want to be an influencer. That's where the attention and gravity is is spinning right now. So if you were an IP holder for, you know, a kid's brand or you wanted to develop one, how would you approach the media ecosystem? And and this leads me to another question. Uh, maybe old media was reach. Is today's media engagement? So I'll answer the first one first. Um, you know, look, if you own a really big brand like Snoopy or Teletubbies or something like that, it makes a lot of sense to to make a deal with an Apple or, or a Netflix because they're going to pay you enormous sums of money to get exclusive access to the intellectual property. However, um, if you're an IP rights holder or a producer of content, 50% of the value that you're going to get out of your intellectual property from this point forward is going to come from what most people call the creator economy, but what I call the community economy. Um, again, Mark Zuckerberg destroyed the idea of the metaverse for all of us. However, one of the most important tenets of Web3 is the relationship between the publisher or the artist and their audience, their community. Um, so the idea that you're going to get all your value from the gatekeeper economy you're going to leave so much of your relationship with your audience and the value you can get out of your intellectual property if you do not practice in the community economy. If I had a new piece of intellectual property right now, what I would do is set up shop on some platform or all the platforms in the community, uh, community economy, like a YouTube or a TikTok or in Fortnite or on Snapchat or on any or on a podcast and tr a get information so launch the content there 
um, you know, in short periods, get data in, A-B test, understand what works, understand what doesn't, but then more importantly, establish the IP and the relationship and the cult around the intellectual property on these other platforms before you start to try to uh, extract the value from the gatekeeper economy. Because if you walk in the in the door with an existing piece of intellectual property that has an engaged audience or community already on your side, you're going to get so much more value and you're going to offer more value. I can drive audience to your platform. Um, you know, I think it depends on, to answer your second question, you know, reach to me is a, is a very uh, old school, uh, you know, really uh, early aughts, 1990s metric. Um, and most of the reach we've measured over the course of measurement in video or audio has been utter BS. Um, very small samples against the overall whole, very bot driven, a lot of fraud in it. Um, and so, you know, that old phrase that John Wanamaker said, I know half of my advertising money is being wasted. I just don't know which half that was said in 1927. <laughs> and yet we still quote it today. Um, so yeah, I think reach is no longer a metric that first of all, we were never measuring it very well to begin with. And then secondarily, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's a useful metric to even concentrate on right now. Transaction. You know, the reason why we invest in media as artists, we invest because we have something to say as publishers, we invest because we're trying to either extract subscription from the user or sell advertising. And so either way, those are the two metrics that matter. Is someone willing to pay and how much? And secondarily, am I selling stuff? Not am I reaching consumers, but are they buying the products I'm selling? Given what you said, are you seeing um, traditional forms of storytelling having to be altered in order to connect with the young viewers today? Or does it, it depend on the platform again? It, re it really does depend on the platform and the artist. Um, you know, I think the, the things that mattered always in time and memoriam since the first cave wall story was told um, are character, plot, um, catharsis, um, and climax, you know, are these, are these involved in your storytelling? And when you look at gameplay, so the, the, the Fortnite is told in seasons, right? Um, and it's really important to understand that those story elements, regardless of what platform you're on, still really, really, really matter. Mr. Beast is a great character. Charlie D'Amelio built a great character. Um, and on Fortnite, there's a great environment. There's a universe built there, literally, um, that we strive for when you make Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Um, the, the number one selling piece of intellectual property from Warner Brothers Discovery last year wasn't a movie and it wasn't a television show. It was a game, Harry Potter, Hogwarts, and a billion dollars. I actually launched this year, I think. Um, so it is a really important thing to understand that stories transport and they can be adapted. They have to be adapted for the platform that they're going to. Um, so yes and no, um, in that there are still the important story elements that have always been relevant to an artist telling a story to an audience and you have to adapt them. I just did a scripted podcast 
you can't tell a scripted television show the same way you tell a scripted podcast. But at the end of the day, story, character, catharsis, and climax, those are the four elements that really, really matter. You mentioned this a, a little while ago. Do you see then the how producers or IP holders are developing shows changing because you want that test that little bit of testing on the social platforms? I mean, I think more people should be doing it. Um, but, you know, one of the, I mean, this is not a kid's show by any stretch of imagination, but one of the, you know, most popular shows or most talked about shows in the last couple of years is Ted Lasso. That started as a series of shorts on NBC, NBC Sports. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, um, Disney, who is loath to allow anybody to mess around with their copyright, allowed uh, the creators who created a musical on TikTok based on Ratatouille called Ratatouille. They let them get away with it because they knew it was good for the brand at the end of the day. Um, so yes, and, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, you're, you're, you're watching, you know, the, the, the arc of story evolve in real time across social video and streaming and gameplay and audio. Um, and I think it's really important to, to note that if you're not practicing in all these fields, you're really doing yourself and your intellectual property and your community a disservice. So to take this a step further, so we know that kids are mid, uh, media savvy and they're very sophisticated viewers. Um, I was going to say they want well-made shows and those cost a lot to produce. You correct me if I'm wrong. Do they always want the highest quality ever? And secondly, how do you see the new ecosystem altering, if at all, the traditional licensing of shows and revenue streams? Mario Brothers and Guardians of the Galaxy are these very highly produced, very expensive movies that take years to make that are really good examples of, you know, premium content that young people love. And then there's Twitch, which is shot on a webcam and not highly produced and completely improvised for the most part. And I think it's really important that kids see both of these as premium content. Um, you just you can't you can't necessarily treat your intellectual property or media or audiences as a binary set of choices. It is a it is a yes and it's a much more nuanced world um, than when you and I were growing up, um, where there was only a talking at, um, not a talking with. And those are incredibly important to to factor into you know, your process as you're publishing, as you're writing, as you're creating. In all of this big, vast ecosystem, what about discoverability of shows? That's really hard. Um, that, you know, we we actually have created this, you know, series of walled gardens um, that um, at, that makes finding content incredibly hard. We've also oversaturated the market in storytelling to a certain extent because of all these different wall guard platforms. And so we've created a massive paradox of choice issue um, for publishers and audiences. The more choice you give consumers, the fewer choices they will actually make. Um, this is not my thesis. This is a kind of well-studied thesis over time. Um, and so, you know, I think that's why testing things out and building audience and and community in direct to consumer relationships is incredibly important 
you know, just because you sell a show to Netflix doesn't mean they're going to surface it well. And doesn't mean anyone's going to see it. Just ask one of the 800 comedians whose comedy specials live on Netflix that no one can find. Um, YouTube is a great platform, but it's also this fire hose of content. Um, it's one of the powers of TikTok is that it helps you discover things through the algorithm that is literally for you. Now, it's also spyware, dangerous spyware and, you know, addictive, depressive uh, uh, um, you know, um, mind numbing, uh, platform, but there is something to it, which is if you understand what an audience likes, if you can build a direct relationship with a community, they will tell you what's working. They will tell you how to find more people like them. They will work on your behalf to make sure that your content is being discovered. If you operate exclusively through the gatekeeper economy, even if you're lucky enough to sell a show to a gatekeeper, the odds that it's going to get a second or third season are, are decreasing at a very, very, very rapid rate. Are there some big changes that you see ahead or is change so rapid now that we can count on it on a daily basis almost? Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, a couple, few generations ago, the Great Depression and World War II created this massive shared global crisis and set of experiences that shaped the minds of many generations all at once. Um, it also accelerated the rate of change. Um, whether that's the adoption of penicillin or the creation of air travel or the invention of uh, the suburbs in, in post-World War II America, um, the rate of change accelerated. COVID and lockdown did the same thing. Um, the, the amazing and awful compression of time, space, and dimension during lockdown for whole families and whole generations, we're not going to know the ripple effects of that for 20, 30, 40 years. We didn't know what a depression baby was until we discovered cash behind the, the wallboards in, in our grandparents' house. Um, it's the same thing, you know, the absence of school, the loss of friendships, um, all of those things, but also the adoption of technology and the adoption of new platforms truly accelerated to a point where change is now a constant state. Um, it, it changes now accelerated to uh, a daily occurrence. It's not something you can schedule once a quarter or once a year at a conference. Um, it's 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 like you know that nephew you only see at Thanksgiving. If you don't pay attention and you don't see it on a daily basis, suddenly it'll get a lot bigger than you ever anticipated it would be. And so, paying attention to change. Um, for the artist, for the publisher, for the producer is now more important than ever because the, especially with generation A, who is now basically woven change into their DNA, into their very heart rhythm, um, disruption is now the operating system of the ecosystem. And so you do have to wake up stupid every day and learn something new about something new every day and not think that just because this is how we behaved this is how the next generations are going to behave. Generation A is going to be extremely different than every generation that came before it, more so than previous generations because of what they just went through in their most formative years, but also because they are so technologically savvy and so um, native 
in in what tech is and they factor it into who they are and what they do. Um, and so, yeah, change is now a constant state and you're going to have to be okay with that. And if you're not okay with it, that's okay, but don't be in the entertainment or media business. All right. On that note, Evan, I hope we get to speak again, uh, not too distant future, because as you said, things are changing so rapidly. Thank you so much for your insight. We really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Be well. Thank you. You too.